There was a teddy bear called Fat And what this rooster named Black Don't forget they were cartoons And not people like us These two guys always stuck together Just like the Thompson twins Or more like Laurel and Hardy They were what we call friends Laurel Hardy is a better Comparison because they complimented Each other fuzz was weak and worried And black was bold and really tight One day the teddy bear said to black I have been thinking for a while Hey, if I was dying Would you stay by my side? Teddy bear continues I know you know I'm often scared But I feel fear inside When I'm thinking about this Then the rooster replies I know exactly what you mean You might think that I am fearless This is uh, Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, my guest today is Ted Stern. Um, Ted's two uh, major pieces of work are uh, Fuzz and Pluck and the continuing tales. I don't want to say sequel, but uh, the next book, Fuzz and Pluck in Splitsville, which came out, I guess, in the fall from uh, Fanographics. Uh, both books are from Fanographics as well as you were in the um, wonderful series, uh, Rubber Blankets, which came out... 15 Beyond ago. 20 years ago quite a while ago one of my favorite comics of all time those three issues are just phenomenal testaments I guess of it was a, exactly about uh, 17 years ago I think uh-huh, there we go and you were in the third issue or the second and third I can't remember uh, the second and third uh, David was a very brave man he uh, for some reason he uh, <coughs> decided that I might you know he wanted to find people who weren't familiar with comics to uh, contribute. So that's that's one of his uh, issues when he approached me, you know, to do a comic. And mm-hmm. I was petrified, and I was this is just really uh, difficult for me. It was the first comic I ever did, you know, so it was like uh, really, really much more difficult than I thought. 
what attracted you to doing that comic? Like, as far as getting involved with comics, because you had already been doing all sorts of different art from what I could gather from your um, bio that I read. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I was a painting major, and so I was definitely into... I, I, I define myself as, you know, definitely a fine artist. I wanted to get into the art scene. I was in New York in the 80s and early 90s, uh, and I was... Uh, flailing around trying to figure out who I was as an artist, and it was hard as hell. I went back to graduate school in 1990 uh, at School of Visual Arts, and I majored in fine arts. Um, uh, incidentally, James Sturm was right across the street uh, doing uh, graduate work in illustration at the same school, and I didn't know him then, so <laughs> we probably <laughs> passed each other on the street a few times. And we didn't even know, you know, each other. So that was weird, because now I know him really well. Um, but anyway, I was a fine art major, and uh, I was really into um, making environments and kinetic sculpture and uh, automatic drawings. And I was all over the place. What do you mean by automatic drawings? An automatic drawing, well, uh, if you think of Andre Breton, who did automatic writing, you know, it's kind of like whatever comes to mind, totally unleashing your uh, conscious mind un I mean unconscious mind and just uh, uh, kind of letting that come to the fore and stop thinking so much about what you want to do and just letting whatever comes to mind and putting it down on paper which is harder than you think uh, it's very uh, liberating though I think maybe perhaps some of the, the oddness or some of the words describe my comics, uh, you know, might, you know, be coming from that place where I'm just really uh, doing free association and just trying to come up with uh, uh, any images that come to mind, any thoughts that come to mind, and just kind of sticking them together. <laughs> so is that kind of a, a, a process in, in creating the comic? Because, I mean, comics... Is, it's a lot of work, like putting together a longer thing. Do you kind of have characters and images that kind of stick out, and then you kind of work that in? I would say there are two processes in my fine art background that come into my comics. First of all is the kind of, uh, like I described, a kind of free association, just kind of coming up with unconscious images, almost like stuff that I would daydream about or just doodles you know, just tons of doodles and sketchbooks. And I would pick them out and find things that I like uh, and just kind of use them. And the other part that came from my fine art that I, you know, kind of brought into my comics was uh, kind of an architecture of, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say, I'm almost Taoist, but kind of like a, always thinking about polarities and dichotomies and uh, opposites and things like that. Uh, so if that's something that I was really investigating at the time when I was in graduate school, and I kind of brought that into my comics. And I think if you, if you knew my background and if, if, you, if you were more familiar with uh, some of the work I did before, the connection would be that I'm dealing with those issues all the time. 
it's interesting to hear that kind of that sense of balance and I guess that idea of philosophy kind of working with what essentially and I don't I, I want, want to make sure I'm not saying this in a bad way in that funny animal aspect. Oh yeah, sure. No, that's <laughs> right. You no, know, that's a compliment. Like, I mean, because uh, that's that's the dichotomy itself. I mean, I really want to have fun. I want the reader to have fun. I think some of my favorite movies, books, uh, whatever, are things that have that uh, that irony of just they're just like fun. Anybody can watch them. They're fun to watch. They're fun to read. They're fun to look at. But they have this underlying structure that makes it more than just uh, arbitrary. And I, I, I feel like uh, what I'm doing in the comics, um, even though it's all over the place, it, it's not arbitrary. Everything has kind of like a, a meaning to me. Mm-hmm. It, I kind of feel when I read your work, it, it kind of follows from that same kind of otherworldly idea that kind of Gary Panter's Jimbo stuff where it's this odd, fluid I guess like kinetic world they've kind of created for these guys. What do you mean by fluid and kinetic? You mean like uh, anything can happen or? Anything can happen um, but it I don't know, it's just this all you kind of see like how Jimbo, especially with the earlier Jimbo work this kind of post-apocalyptic narrative, not that yours uh-huh. is post-apocalyptic at all, but it's this otherworldly aspect to it that kind of lends itself quite well, I guess. It's just, oh, okay, yeah. Well, I guess, um, I, I think Gary Tanner was, was a big stylistic, you know, hit on the head for me. I mean, I really uh, loved how he drew, and I loved all his different textures and, and, and uh everything that was going on. The stories, I felt, were... They were kind of thin, but but he wasn't really trying to do that. He was just kind of, like, going someplace with this special... You know, really bringing you into this bizarre world. And and uh, I loved that, you know, before him, too. I mean, I loved... You know, I look, look at... Some, Fellini was, you know... A hu- I'm a huge fan of Fellini, and he does just that. You know, he creates this universe that's, you know like that and, and just kind of build this story into it and uh, that kind of came naturally to me I didn't really plan it out I just I just uh, after doodling and sketching and painting and doing all this stuff for like 15 years after school I felt like I had a world that I could kind of um, use as a template to place my characters in
what was the transition from fine art to comics? Like, did... Were you... He was sad and pathetic. Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, it was really, I graduated from SBA, and I was extremely financially desperate, and uh, I, I did work in studios, working uh, as in graphic design studios, doing production and, you know, things like that, and uh, I rented this studio in, in Soho, of all places, in a sub-basement that's below the basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Burroughs' bunker. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. You know, I'm going to do my work and build it. And, you know, I, it's not that I had this love for Soho. It was just I really did get a good deal in that space, you know, price-wise. So I was like, okay, good, you know. And, oh, my God, I was so, I was so tired by the end of the day. Uh, I just was like, it was just so hard to go down there after a long day and then live my life as well. And uh, I, I just uh, was kind of worn down by all the space it took and the money and the time and I missed drawing because I love drawing so I kind of had to uh, look myself look at the reality of it all and just say I have to let this go and so I uh, at that time David had asked me to do the comic strip and the comic for his rubber blanket and I, I just said I gotta let this go and I'm just going to uh, draw and uh, bring what I had with my previous work, translate that to another medium. And I think, you know, that's really something that I would emphasize because I'm not, I'm not wedded to mediums. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, an artist has a vision and it can be translated in a number of different ways. So to me, it was like, it was, it was another medium, just yeah. Move to another medium, and it was a lot cheaper because all you have to do is put it on paper. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can have a whole, you know, year's worth of work in one little drawer, and so that was just instead of some big elaborate sculpture that requires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you do with it? And who's going to see it anyway? Uh, I, I kind of changed my philosophy about what art could be too, because uh, I was also getting. This is an important point too, is I was also getting turned off by the just the whole kind of snitty snitty fine art world mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just how the preciousness of it all uh, the, the whole uh, concept of an original work of art I mean why does it have to be an original work of art why does it only have to be one I mean what excited me about comics is you know you can make thousands of them and every one is just as valid as any other you know and course that makes a lot of sense and so I just kind of thought isn't this just a more viable medium for this time right now you know so I I kind of plunged into it with with all the you know lots of enthusiasm did you have any cartoonist instructors at SVA no I was in fine art so I okay. had like these you know fine artists you know, people who were showing in New York painters sculptors uh, you know conceptual artists, you know? <laughs> it was a whole different world, you know, yeah. and I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, unlike, you know, say Dan Clouds, I, I benefited a lot from it, I thought it was just a lot of fun, and I learned, I just had a great time, but um, I, I wonder about the validity of the whole gallery system in general, you know, I just don't know whether that's 
something that that really touches people in a large in a great way i mean it's just it's just such a it's become such a sideshow you know i feel like you know so I, that's one reason i got excited about publishing and books and you know getting your work in in that out that way do you kind of believe that art should be more massively accessible and not necessarily I, I, I think it has to be mm-hmm. uh, I mean if you look at any art form in the past I mean any fame any work that has um, gone through history that has uh, if we look back what we what do we remember it really was the popular art of the time I mean the salons of the 19th century that was where everyone went that was like going to the movies mm-hmm. uh, the, the church all, all the work that was done for the church you know that was that was where the community was you know I mean you think of say you know you see these uh, beautiful uh, altar pieces now stuck in a museum they were right there on the altar piece for the entire population to see everyone looked at them so, uh, you know, the, the whole context is different. So I feel like uh, I want to, I feel like that's the most valid way of reaching people is, you know, the same approach. you got to, you know, go where the people go. Which is interesting with comics, because at one point it was a lot more of a populist <laughs> media. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I don't think I did pick the right one, actually. <laughs> I mean, honestly... You should have gone into toy design. I know. I think film is where it's at right now, but, you know, it's just, it changes, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it changes. It's almost cyclical. Yeah. And my phone is beeping now, so I hope it's not fine. Are you on a cordless? Yeah. Okay, well, let me know if we need to uh, have me call you back. On the, uh, well, uh, if you have to call me back, maybe you should try me on my cell phone. Okay. That sounds uh, like it might be a... It's horrible. So, anyway, where were we? Um, accessibility, populism, or populist uh, mediums. Yeah. Talking about. Well, I would say comics was not. I, I actually believed that comics could be and should be. So you know, I like the control I have over it. I mean, you can't have anything else uh, that you have so much control over that is so easy to do. I mean, animation possibly but it takes a lot more time to do well animation you're in in most animation you're you're a part within the larger machine right too like not necessarily you can make it yourself but it takes a lot of time
We return with the Ink Stud, CITR 101.9 FM. My guest right now is Ted Stern. We're talking about comics and the role of comics as a uh, accessible art medium, I guess is what we've been saying. Um, maybe we'll jump into kind of your larger comics work. We're talking about how you started out with the Rubber Blankets work. And I'm trying to remember... Was there fuzz and pluck stuff in Rubber Blankets? I forgot to reread them. There was before. one in number three. There we uh, go. It was very. Uh, I think you mentioned. Uh, it, it was. I was very influenced by a lot of early comics. Um, so uh, it did have a kind of deliberately kind of archaic feel to it. You know, like I would I would leave off periods at the end of the word balloons and sentences and and uh, you know have characters in a kind of opaque manner and uh, I, I liked it I mean it, it worked for what I was trying to do but it was probably the second comic I ever did so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said David was a brave man He's willing to uh, he actually I mean, I've known him I went to RISD with him uh, the Rhode he, Island School of Design yeah uh, and uh, we had kept in touch with each other for years, and uh, so he kind of knew my work and my vision and what I was doing, and so, yeah. So he did he push you into trying out that vision with the comics medium, or is it something you had been kind of developing? Well, I was actually very interested in comics, uh, getting more interested in comics. I had just, you know... I think in the mid-80s I had discovered Winter McKay and uh, I was just fascinated by the possibilities that I saw with a lot of early, early comics and it, it kind of got me excited more than, say, more mainstream comics could. Um, I was really inspired because it kind of opened up a door of what comics could be mm -hmm. for me. And I think, uh, you know, one thing that artists keep in mind is, like, you know, I think I came to the point where I was like, well, I want to see more, and there wasn't any more, you know? And that's when you start saying, well, I'm going to create more than things that I want to see, <laughs> you know? Well, Winsor McKay is an interesting example of someone that really kind of inspires, because I know Kim Deitch, for himself, he, in the early 60s, he'd gone to a... Uh, an art show that had a whole lot of Kim, a lot of uh, Winsor McKay stuff, and that was kind of an epiphany moment for him going, right, right on, man, I'm doing comics. Yeah. Uh, as uh, best I, I could I, in hippie-esque terms. Well, yeah, I know. It's like, that, that's, that's, uh, I think he's a, he's somebody who was influenced by a lot of different, you know, those kind of comics, and I, I feel a little like a fish out of water, I, a little different, because, uh, mainstream comics really have not played a part in my, you know, inspiration, even though I have read them. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I bought, I think about this time, I bought the Smithsonian collection of newspaper comics, the big hardback book. It was uh, published in the 60s. And uh, I was just, I just fell in love with a lot of the early comics that I never saw anywhere else. You know, it, it, I think more the biggest thing, and I think this happens to a lot of creators, is, is you just discover a work that you never really noticed before, and it and it speaks to you, and, you know, it resonates with you in a way that, uh, you know, 
it, perhaps other things didn't. And uh, so that's how it was with me. And I, I felt like with my, after all my mediums and running around doing all these different mediums and paintings and drawings and sculpture, I was like, yeah, I can take this and I can extrapolate my vision, you know. I've heard, I've heard that from other people where, especially with the Smithsonian collection, has really been a big kind of point. Really? really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious, is part of that when you find something in there that really speaks to you, is do you have, like, seeing this for the first time, do you kind of create, like, a personal connection where, like, this is, you found this, you've discovered this, and this kind of speaks to you personally on that aspect? I, I think... Uh I think it's it's important to say that it, I was I didn't look at this and say wow this is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I looked at it and I saw I had never seen it before. I really hadn't. I mean, I not to that extent. I, it, it, that's what's weird is like in the eighties, uh, you know, uh, Law Magazine is responsible for pulling out all these comics out of the dustbin and just you know saying look at this. And really, before that, no one was looking. Yeah. I don't. I mean, maybe few people were, but certainly not in the popular culture. So, you know, when you come across it, there's this great discovery. And I'm not saying that you know this stuff is like, uh, you know, it has its it has its issues. It's like it was a very kind of like primitive medium in a lot of ways back then. But but um, it just it just because of the newness of it. It was old new. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was so new because it was so old. And, uh, you know, Fen- Lionel Fenninger and mm-hmm. yeah, his compositions mostly, his color, you know, I was just like, wow, look at what I can do, you know. Well, he's so dynamic in his cartooning, yeah. too. It's just yeah. like so much incredible stuff is happening. Right. And, when it's- and then even like Harriman, like the comic strips he did even before Crazy Cat. Um, I just thought they were funny, they were hilarious, they were charming, they were smart, uh, you know, like Stumble In and a few other ones that were reproduced in this book, and you don't see them anywhere, you know, you just don't. Uh, so that kind of spoke to me, because I like, you know, I love funny, you know, I can't help it, I love it, so, you know, I thought this stuff was funny. And I'm a big fan of... Um, I don't know why. I'm just a big fan of old stuff, like uh, archaic stuff, like uh, early silent movies. Like, I love Harold Lloyd and his movies. Um, and to me, that's kind of like a film parallel to comic strips. It's mm-hmm. Like, they're just doing it, you know? <laughs> there's no there's no blueprint. There's no, like, you don't look back and get taught this. You know, they're just playing it by ear. They're, they're, they're doing it for the first time. I mean, when Harold Lloyd and... Buster Keaton were making these movies in the 20s, they were just like, well, let's try this. Let's do this. It, just, it was a new medium. That really interests me because, it's, I mean, seeing these people working these new mediums, it, you kind of get this unique vision because they don't have necessarily influences, direct influences that work within that medium. So someone like Buster Keaton, I mean, who's he going to be watching, you know? Like maybe the vaudeville oh. stage stuff. But as far as, like, utilizing this whole new aspect, you kind of yeah. see this creativity where you, you, you're not limited by knowing what's been done and what hasn't been done, what's been working, what hasn't been right, working. Right, right. And I think that's that's a freedom that's 
also in, say, 3D animation right now. I mean, maybe less so now, but maybe in, uh, uh, I think uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I think, uh, you know, what's happening on the Internet, uh, that's going to be, that's something new that people are still trying to figure out. But I haven't really seen anything that's blown me away that, you know, like, wow, you know, an amazing ex- use of a medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I'm not feeling that yet, but maybe that's just me. Um, but uh, I, I felt like even though comics are not new anymore, there is kind of like a renaissance, there was a renaissance of let's let's see what else we can pull from this. You know? mm-hmm. And that's where you get guys like like Mastrelli and like Panther who are kind of stripping it down and kind of working for more of a base up, too, which right. is interesting. I find especially with Mastrelli because he's got that such mainstream start outs and he just rips it apart bit by bit and just sheds it off like a like a snake in its skin well yeah he loves he loves to play with uh, play with the possibilities of the medium true he really does and uh, he's uh, he's a master at it I mean he just it just comes naturally to him and I, I you know that his new books are coming out in June it's uh, I've, I've read it it's yeah. phenomenal. You it. Yeah, oh, you I, it. I got a preview copy from the publisher. It's uh, okay. Yeah, I know he's not well, doing interviews, but I'd love to talk to him. No, no <laughs> interviews. Absolutely none. <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I did see pieces of it. He showed me pieces of it, but I hadn't seen it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's really excellent, and um, yeah, not to chat about other people's work. Oh no. But I mean, he's—if it wasn't for him, I might not be doing this. So I mean, he does relate to you know me. I mean, he—he—he he, uh, he didn't really—he was really hands off. He was just like, yeah, you just—you do what you have to do. You do what you want to do. And and I was—I uh, was really intimidated at first because I, I realized how much more difficult this was than I thought. Uh, uh, and, it was a great help. and it's interesting to start with that because you're talking about the uh, old strip influences and stuff, and those are huge pages. Oh yeah, that's that's what's. Uh, I'm not a big fan of mini mini comics. I, but, I just I need I like why why can't it be bigger? Dive into it, get into it. You know, I really like to think of it metaphorically as just you're diving in to someone else's world. And when I see these little tiny, tiny, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying there are some that are really good. Like, I mean, like, of course, Chris Ware is just a master at, you know, laying out a page. Um, but when I, I get a little disturbed when I, I have to look at tiny, tiny, tiny pictures and, uh, I kind of long for a nice big, <laughs> an, op- or something. an open canvas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if I, see one more stapled eight and a half by eleven mini comic. I don't I, I just I need I need something that is just lovingly made that's just saying, I'm beautiful, look at me, you know, just come in. And sometimes I don't really buy a lot of kind of, you know, Xerox mini comics. I I, I wanna see 
something that's a little more lovingly created where I can just walk right into the world. And it's, it, there are people doing interesting stuff like that, like Frank Santoro uh, back in the 90s uh-huh. did his Storyville newspaper. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, it's, that's pretty dirt cheap to make that because of the, the medium that he used, the newsprint. But mm-hmm. still, like, he had this big, magnificent page, and that's, you know, his strongest work. Well, yeah. I think it's all playing with the medium, and there aren't any um, there aren't any things that you should or shouldn't do. It's just you know you 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 need to really give something for the reader to sink their teeth into and just go, mm, wow, look at that!" You know, comics can I be fun. It. What <laughs> comics can be fun, and comics can be a lot to take in. Well, I think there's a school of thought. Some, I don't know, maybe it was a few years ago where you, you have to kind of um, maybe it's Scott McCloud or something I, I don't know whether I'm pulling this out of context but you know you shouldn't go too much detail because you're reading it at a certain pace and you don't want to you know give the reader too much to look at because uh, because the pacing will be you know you're only looking at it for a second so but um I think that's a bunch of hooey. I mean, I, I, I think you can really look at it, absorb a lot with your eyes and come back and look at it and notice things you didn't notice before. And, uh, you know, so I do like care and, and uh, attention uh, paid to the page. And I, so... I think I, I think I know exactly what you're referring to. It's um, Scott McCloud talking about how with Mouse, with with that art speaker, it's very specific about not cluttering up the page too much, focusing on the direct storytelling. But at the same part, like that same creator will go and do very, you know, manipulative. Um, I mean, manipulative by how he manipulated the pages. Um, some of more experimental work, which are quite detailed, are quite refined, and is a lot of work going into really using the whole page. Well, yeah, so. I, I think I, I'm not saying you sh- detail, not detail. I guess I'm saying there's a balance mm-hmm. between you are looking and reading at the same time, and uh, I, I like a full meal to look at. I don't want to look at a little diet. <laughs> I don't want to be on a diet while I'm looking. Well, I was reading for for school. One of my courses, we had to read Fun Home, and I'm reading it, and I realize. Uh, have you read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realize something like, sure, she has a brilliant vocabulary, but the cartooning, honestly, it's mediocre. Like, uh-huh. she's not really playing with the medium as much as you want. To me, I feel like these are illustrations that are accompanying the story. And I really didn't feel like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that was. I, th- I don't know whether that was her approach or not, because if you look at her comic strip, it's not like that. I mean, she has people talking to each other, and mm-hmm. she doesn't have this kind of double narrative going on where she's kind of going on about something and then um, putting it with, together with an image. So I, I, I feel like it was kind of a conscious choice of hers to kind of do that. Um, and it works like it is it is a really great mm-hmm. book in itself as far as far as what what you want to accomplish but I kind of felt like when people talk about you know examples of great utilization of the medium like 
I really didn't feel like that really fully utilized fully utilized medium like someone like where Chris Ware or Dan Klaus or Burns where they're playing with the page and Mm -hmm. very careful about what they're doing I felt it was more you know really I felt like a picture book not necessarily well it's I know I don't know I, I, I can't I, that I think that bothered me less than you, um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's it's my context of what I have to read it for. <laughs> I felt like that was her approach, and, and you know, honestly, that's not my approach at all. I, I like to really keep the image and the the text in unison, and kind of just I don't like to separate it and start narrating. I feel like I'm my brain is being split in two. And, it doesn't really. It wouldn't work for me to, at all. So I understand what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, like for for what I get out of cartooning, is when the text um, plays with the images or works with the images as a part of the image. It's not. It can't be separated and be something by itself. And then the images are kind of. Yeah, and that uh, that's actually rarer than I realize. But you know, some people have trouble doing that. And I I. I w- I don't know. I, I I love doing that. It, it, that's what makes it great. I mean, I I, I don't usually have. A, not, I don't mean that's what makes it great. <laughs> that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it great fun. Is, is just really combining that image and text. And I'm not a writer. I mean, I, I was always like a visual artist, but um, I, I I can only do it, and I only love doing it with the image you know I just the text and the image together it just it's wonderful music to me I feel like um, when I do a sequence without text I feel like I have to be very careful about the pacing because the text paces the image mm-hmm. the time it takes you to read it is the time you're looking and then you move on and when I read comics without Im- without any text I sometimes have trouble with the, them because it's almost like uh, I'm slipping off the page from one <laughs> to, the, to the other. So if you look at my stuff, you'll notice I put in sound effects, I put in anything, even just comments, just something to slow the rhythm down so that you can read it at a, at a pace.
Well, like I was just flipping through the one book, and you have the simple one, the part where uh, Fuzz and Pluck um, have starved themselves in order to get the collars off, and just that page where they're, you know, the only text is really them laughing out yeah. of their, you know, dizziness of being so malnourished. But that yeah. helps, like, working with that pacing of where it's going at. Well, so, yeah, so. yeah, I think if you would look at any, <laughs> any page, you'd probably see how I'm, I mean, hopefully, you see how I'm just trying to pace it so there's a nice, nice rhythm. And, you know, sometimes I'm off. Sometimes I'm, I've got it pretty good. And, you know, I think uh, what's happened over time, if you look at my later work, is I've kind of been less experimental with the layout, and I've been more um, kind of basic with the panel grid, because I find that it's very tricky to keep the rhythm and keep the story rhythm going nicely when you start breaking up the panels and start toying with that. I mean, there are places I love to do it, like, you know, I think I had this whole double-page spread where Fuzz is on his tricycle, uh, and, uh, you know, I was playing with the layout there where, you know, I had characters upside down, I have plot balloons upside down, and it's all one kind of crazy thing, but then I like to go back to the rhythm of the story. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Fuzz and Pluck, our uh, troubled protagonist? <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, in hindsight, I can tell about talk about them in hindsight because I really wasn't. They're really just based on a doodle that I did. And I was trying to come up with something for David's comic, but as they developed, um, again in hindsight, I saw them as complete opposites not necessarily of myself but aspects of my personality as any artist as any comic artist would probably tell you but <coughs> about their characters <laughs> but um i feel like fuzz is kind of like the lost innocent child in me and pluck is uh the adult that has to deal with the real world and has to make it through however he can you know and he's not he'll do anything he can to survive and uh, he'll just uh, uh, he has no scruples about you know he has to do it you know that he knows what, what that he's not going to wait for someone to uh, you know pat him on the back and help him out he has to you know charge through and try to survive as an, as an adult and that's pretty much you know they're really kind of opposites in that way so uh, I, I felt like they kind of, in a way, they kind of need each other. They're incomplete without each other because uh, Pluck is, has none of this. Pluck is, does not have the innocence and wide-eyed of a child, but Fuzz has none of the sense of responsibility and decision-making that an adult requires. So uh, they're kind of lost without each other. And then when they are with each other, they don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> but they need each other. Well, I don't want to make it sound like they need each other like like best friends, but... It's kind of a co... Incompleteness without yeah. each other. 
they and I think I wanted to show that in Splitsville, just how who they are without each other. You know. Ergo, the title. Splitsville. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> now it's your your um, I guess your paging has changed quite a lot from the original uh, book to the Splitsville. Was all of that the original stuff that was all in zero zero? Yeah. Um. Do you have a preference of the the page dynamic? Like, do you, did you kind of discover with the later stuff that it's more comfortable comfortable with that, or is that kind of working with the dimensions you're given? Uh, now, what do you mean, like? I guess the smaller page. Oh, the smaller page. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot less of the there's more structured paneling and less of the full paneling in the earlier stuff. I think I think I found that like a lot of the the paneling and the earlier stuff is it's a little arbitrary. It's kind of like, I'm going to try this, see how it works. <laughs> um, I'm going to see how this works. And uh, I, I feel like the real me is more of the later stuff as far as um, kind of using the medium because, I, like I said, I, I think it, it's really hard to Unfortunately, there's kind of a balance between form and content, you know, and and when form starts to take precedence, uh, the content takes the back seat. Mm-hmm. And I found as I went on is I want the content to be the form, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I want I want the story and plot and the character um, interactions to be the to be the, f- the form of the work. And so that meant that if I start playing with the layout, start doing all these fancy things, it's a distraction. Um, unless it's working with the story completely, you know. And there are places you might see, like there's a fight scene with the, uh, uh, when Pluck first comes to the, uh, uh, gets involved with the, uh, the gladiator, the gladiator thing, and I'm I'm playing with the layout. I'm breaking up panels, and I'm I'm creating a, a kind of uh, variety of panel sizes and things like that. And and that's that's because you know I felt that went with the fight, which was kind of like all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I you know I I wanted a kind of um, imbalance going on a little bit with that. And then you'll see that you know I start to return to the panel grid, and other scenes. So I try to I try to make the form work with the content, but subservient to it. I don't. I kind of decided after my first book um, that I don't want you to be distracted by the form, and I I feel like that's something overlooked in a lot of ways. I mean. It's, Sometimes I feel like there's there's comics that look great, but when you're done with it, it's, it's kind of like it just looks great. There's nothing, yeah. really, there's no meat there. And so I, I I I just I'm just trying to concentrate on what I think is important with the, with the work. And that's 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 that. <laughs> Thank you. 
Actually, the world they're in kind of reminds me a little to, of, um, like, especially the gladiator parts of, like, Meet the Feebles. It's just like, everyone's just terrible. They're all terrible, terrible people. Oh, really? I just, wow. I feel bad for little fuzz. Like, everyone else is just, you know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've heard that before, and I, I guess, I feel like, you know, the guy who's with him, Mr. Victor, I, I don't feel like he's terrible. I feel like... Well, he's, he's just, he's lost. Yeah, well, they're all, they all are. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think um, my character Val, I, I, I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel like he's not a terrible person. He's, he's just trying to, you know, you know, find his way, and even his other teammate, he's not really terrible. He's trying to, every, every character in my stories, I think, is, they have a desire. They have mm-hmm. a, something that they really want and they need. And it defeats them every time. If you look at every character, that's what happens. Their desire defeats them. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a quote from a um, the Tao Te Ching, which I was just looking at like an hour ago, and it's funny, I came across it. It says, chase after mundane security and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval and you will be their prisoner. And I feel like that's the first one is pluck, and the second one is fuzz. And you know, they're all they're stri- They're all stri- if you look at all the characters, all striving to do something, and it's it's all for you won't get them what they want. You know what I mean? So I I, I hope my characters aren't terrible in, in that way. They're just kind of like victims of their own blind desires. Which who isn't? I don't know. To me, that's we're all kind of running around like that in some ways. Do you flesh out your characters a lot before introducing them? In kind of creating their drive and who they are? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I think when I start writing what they're going to say, I figure out what they're going to say first before I start knowing it. Once I have them interacting, it's kind of like they start to take a life on their own. They start to tell me what they're like. I think Fuzz and Pluck have reached that point where I almost have Pluck sitting next to me, you know, saying, you know, I wouldn't say With that. With the wings I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting because the characters start to actually take on a life, you know. Well, and, and they're doing that within the comic, too. Like, they, you have them within the comic, and then you have them kind of outside of the comic watching the comic. Oh, where is that? With the uh, with them as angels. With, oh yeah, yeah. You know they kind of introduce and you know conclude the book. Yeah, yeah. That was just, that was a just a way to frame frame all the action and uh, I I thought I guess I thought it was funny because sometimes I feel like there's, there's this moralizing precedence that comes with every story and I just wanted to poke fun at it. <laughs> me, you know, you, ch- you know, I think moral morality can be very, very um, uh, relative, and uh, so I think that's one reason I put them in as kind of outside characters. Is, uh, I feel like the morality that I just expressed in the, you know, when I mentioned the, the Tao Te Ching quotations. 
that's the close to morality as I can get. <laughs> because I, 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 I like to ask questions more than give answers. And I think, you know, there are books out there that they're trying to find an answer and they tell you what the moral of the story is at the end. And to me, I'm just like, I want a question at the end of my story, not an answer. You know, I want people to ask questions. Here, my some of my questions for that in that area was, I don't know, like when Plux Angel visits him and he says, "Oh, you are so why you're so selfish and you know you're just looking out for yourself and you know how can you be so this way?" And he's like, "I'm just trying to survive, man." Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you call it that. I call it you know that or death. You know, so I just want to bring up that question of like you know how it's easy to moralize and just but when you're when you're trying to you know look out for number one and just trying to get by what does that all, all that all that mean well some of my favorite comics are the ones that don't spell it all out let you kind of read it and jump into it and oh please please it, it, it's not art if it tells you what, if it's didactic it's just not i mean it, you, it's a conversation between the reader and the writer mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have that give and take i really get upset when when work starts telling me what to think it just makes me it, it's that's not what art is it, it has to open up your eyes to a different way of seeing it has to make you think about other things that you might not ever think of it does not it is not there to tell you what should be you know one of my so. favorite books uh, i think last year was uh gp's um notes for war story and his uh, precursor to that, the Garage Band, and it's so interesting um, because he just he, he has his characters going through an experience, but he just tells a story and kind of leaves a lot that can be filled in. And most storytellers would just go and you know just fill in the whole story and say exactly what happened to each person, and you know we kind of try and figure out their moral judgments. Why did they make that decision? I think that's a control issue on the part of the artist. I think that's also, you know, what you have to understand is it's a conversation. It's like a, it's a debate. It's it's just, you're bringing it out and you're saying, how about this? And then the reader might come back and say, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Or, you know, I, I think this, or, oh, that's interesting. I mean, it, it can't be just one person standing up on a mountain and telling people this is the way it is. And uh, I don't think you can point to many, uh, you know, works of art that, that that do that successfully. You know, they're just they're just dead and opaque. And you know, you really got to. The interesting, the fascinating thing about comics and movies and painting and any form of art is how you can uh, go through those layers and say, oh, look at this aspect of it. Look at this aspect of it. Oh, I never thought about it from that point of view. And it's 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 malleable. It's changeable. It's um, you know, it's not cast in stone. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of telling a story. Is I mean, you you tell it and then you just leave. You kind of put it out yeah. there. And know. I think that's there's an there's an innocence to that and an unconsciousness that I was talking earlier about kind of like getting into my unconscious and not being so conscious I try to stop thinking so much about making 
the perfect plot arc or making uh, the character do something that that would be morally acceptable to the broader audience. I mean, I'm just trying to um, make it make sense within itself and just play with all sorts of ideas. And I, it's, it's hard because you have to kind of let go of your uh, your rational side. I have to kind of go, well, what if this happened? <laughs> Do you find um, or Will you be uh, jumping into any other characters, or are you kind of tied to your uh, your two boys? Well, I have a feeling if I did come up with other characters, they'd end up being involved <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that's why I mean that, that. I think that's why a lot of artists stick to their same characters is because you know they kind of found something that works for them. Yeah. So uh, I will be sticking with them, and then what's one reason I created them in the first or I started sticking with them is I don't have to start from scratch, you know, yep. okay, this guy came from here, he's like this, uh, you know, this, this, this. Uh, I, I do do that. I do want to do that. I have another story that I had come up with. Uh, I'm going to, I just started, you know, figuring it all out. It introduces new characters. It introduces new situations. But Fuzz and Pluck are there. So it's kind of like they're like the thread that runs through it. And after this story, they'll move on to somewhere else, and there will be new characters introduced. So I feel like I'm doing both. You know, I'm sticking with them, but I'm definitely introducing new characters and new situations. They're kind of your ciphers, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, uh, I like both. I, I don't want to stick with the same characters day after day. It's boring. Like, I want to, you know throw them into a different situation. So new character.
new work that you'll be putting out, will it be comics, comics, or are they going to be featured in other stuff? I'm sorry, what? When uh, when can we see new uh, new new fuzz and new pluck? Um, I think it'll be. I'm going to try to get stuff to Mome. Um, it'll be in Mome. That's what I was wondering. Periodically, about. yeah, and uh, then I'll collect it into a book. So you know, the next story is probably going to be about the same size as Split Bone. God knows how long it's going to take, <laughs> and uh, I'll probably be faster than my time. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's hard, you know. I'm working full time, and you know, it's it's hard to just pump it out as fast as I want to. So I'm lucky. I. It, it, I'm lucky I'm doing it at all, you know, so. When you do animation, do you kind of take a different angle? Because you do storyboarding. Do you take a different angle with that than you do with um, with illustrating comics? Or is it pretty similar? Well, I think, of course, you know, the medium's different. It is, it, there are similarities, but I think there are great differences. You have to think about uh, that it's just one frame on top of another. It's not sequential images next to each other on a page and that makes a big difference um, you know so there's a lot of things that you can reveal like showing reveals and how in a character when a character enters a room and does something you would do it differently in comics and in, in animation you would do it totally, totally different because it's more related to film where you're cutting to reveal things and you can do a lot of cuts and there's a time sequence involved where you can only look for however long it's on the screen. Mm-hmm. So showing details like close-ups and uh, key expressions, uh, you know, what character's looking at, it's, it's a different approach than comics. And I, I try to treat it that way. You know, like the comics, I like to respect the page and think about the two dimensions and you know, I, I'm always thinking about it in more two-dimensional fashion, and and uh, animation is can be more di- much more dynamic. You cut it away, you're moving the camera around. Different. Have you learned anything from animation? Has anything spilled over that's kind of helped with comics or changed how you looked at doing comics? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Can you um, have from doing animation, has there been any anything that's kind of spilled over and changed how you've done comics or how you work on your comics? Oh yeah, yeah. I think you know if you look at the Don Quixote at the end of my um, first book, you know, and a lot of the clips you'll see where I'm using the same scene over and over again, <laughs> and I'm just having some different variations in how the characters are moving. That's an influence. It's uh, like like the animation. old like the old Scooby Doo's. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not what comes to mind. <laughs> with the with the with the always uh, present background. <laughs> oh, well, well, I think uh, what I'm doing is I'm I'm in animation. You have a one background, one scene, and then you have the characters play it out in that scene. Yeah, and you don't change the background. Um. You know, in comics, when I before I was doing animation, I didn't think about that, and now I think about, well, let's just keep them in the scene, and we'll have them. You know, it's almost a little stagier, but yeah. it it 
it works for me because it's not as distracting. You're just concentrating on the character acting and how the characters are interacting, their expressions, and you're not distracted by all this change in background and different views and all that. I mean, it, I, I only want to use uh, the view when it, the view of the of the comic when it um, is definitely needed. You know. Well, background. That's a different different people do backgrounds and would necessarily do the characters, am I right? In animation? Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't pay to change the backgrounds a lot in the animation because you have to draw a new ma- background every yeah. time. So that's why I mentioned that because you, you'll tend to see uh, a more economical use of backgrounds in animation. So that's what I was talking about there. Thank you so much for taking the time to yak with me today, Ted. Well, thanks, Robin, for uh, having me on. Studs, CITR 101.9 FM, and throw a little bonus on this week because the uh, 101.9 cable. There we go. Um, something I want to try and do every once in a while is have a sit down talk with Don King. Um, <laughs> Don used to be on the show a little more regularly, but he got a job. Yeah. And so he's now being responsible. And I don't begrudge him for that. <laughs> responsible? Is that the word? We'll call it something. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I really liked about Don is he's very uh, painted and uh, has lots to say about comics and loves them and hates them at the same time. Yep. <laughs> I like good ones. I like good ones. So I think uh, a little thing we're going to have every once in a while is uh, a chat with Don about some of the recent stuff he's been enjoying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Jeez, you sound like a regular comic. Well, the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like comics. Well, the, coo- the coolest thing that came in uh, in the last couple months, I think, was the I Live Here. You oh, and Don works in a comic store. Yes. Yes, I do. All right. Comics. 2418 Main Street, Vancouver. Um, the, uh, yeah, the I Live Here book, you, you interviewed Mia yeah. Kushner. And that was the surprise of the the holiday season, I think, was that one. That was uh, totally mismarketed, not advertised at all. And it's got a Joe Sacco graphic novel in it. It's got uh, Julie Morstad and uh, Phoebe Glockner. Dude, one of the creepiest stories you've ever seen. Yeah, and it was uh, it was just a, an interesting read. And especially for someone doing like a first time out creator. It's like someone that never made a comic before. It was actually one of the more interesting comics that's come out in the last year. I loved it. That was just it. awesome. Highly recommend it. Yes. Do all the books, because there's four books, so all of them stand out as well. Uh, be fun. Some are stronger than others. The Joe Sacco one, I like the most probably, and then uh, the one about the Myanmar? Or, uh, Myanmar? Yeah. yeah, Burma. Yeah, Burma. And... Um, that they actually, I found the one about Mexico interesting, but it was a little vague about what they were talking about. Like I had to actually dig out the the package and read the the blurb on the package to oh, see okay. what they were talking about because it didn't really the missing women. Yeah, it didn't really explain that that's what they were talking about when they uh, did it. But uh, at least it was interesting and uh, informative. It caught your eye. Yeah. What else have you been reading lately, even though you don't get much of a chance to read? Yeah, I've, uh, The Scorpion. It was, Scorpion. A, it was a Cinebook thing I just read. What's and Cinebook? It's, uh, I think it's a, they're, they're a publisher. They're, uh, I think they do mostly European stuff. It, uh, because we, we always just keep them with the, uh, 2000 AD and things like that. The big uh, books. Yeah, the humanoids. They're sort of that, that sort of size. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of like a historical adventure that takes place in the 1700s. It's sort of like a, uh, you know, like a, a Scarlet Pimpernel, Zorro type of character, like an adventurer that gets uh, a rung, yeah, 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 swashbuckler that gets uh, kind of rung up into the, uh, with the history of the Catholic Church, and uh, it's gorgeous. I was I was telling Bougie, it reminded me of like the type of thing that Alex Toth would do, except drawn by an animator. You know, there's like. Written. Oh yeah, uh, great, great, great <laughs> story. Yeah, and well written. Yeah, it was uh, really cool. I enjoyed that one. We have a lots of love for Alex Toth, but oh yeah, it's not exactly working with Alan Moore. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> all the best stuff he did was uh, Alex Toth always did the adventure stuff the best. So it reminded me of that that same sort of tone, like this old swashbuckler. The Europeans love that. Now, you're going down to Emerald City in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to Looking it. Looking forward to it. One of the things that I know you for is that your uh, appreciation of some of the older folks in comics. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. of the time, you really don't like anything that's made in the last 20 years. Well, mainstream stuff I don't. <laughs> it's true. It's like It seems like now it's like all the new stuff I like is something that's just sort of odd and different and interesting. I don't really give a damn about Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or Wolverine or anything like that. None, I don't care who's drawn it. I'm not buying it. You know, Who cares? Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to Seattle because uh, Tony Dizinig is going to be there, who created uh, Jonah Hex. Oh. And, uh, and uh, Alex Nino, great Filipino artist. I've been looking at a lot of Nino stuff because uh, 
this one guy, Frank Centaur, was mm-hmm. ranting about how wonderful he is. And it's quite fascinating looking at Nino stuff because he oh. really approaches the page differently. And yeah, and, 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 and uh, Walt Simonson, you can see, I think, took a lot from those guys because he has that same sort of inking, that swipey ink kind of look. The earlier Simonson stuff. Yeah, the really early stuff reminds me a lot of Alex Nino. Uh, Bob Layton's going to be there. Who's the? He was the '80s Zipatone king on, uh, <laughs> on on Iron Man. Uh, actually, I'm looking forward to meeting Paul Smith because uh, he's PMS. yeah he's done some awesome stuff, and uh, I'm going to get him to sign my Golden Age comics. Those are my favorite thing. I think he did. Uh, and uh, Bruce Tim's going to be there, and that's to me yep. he's like he's like the definitive. He's it. It took an animator to come up with the definitive Batman. What yeah. is it about animation with you that you love so much? Well, I don't. That's the thing. Is I'm not, if people think I like animation. I don't really. I really like good adventure stories and sort of superhero stuff if it's done well. It just almost never is. Uh, all the Bruce Timm stuff nailed it. He, he redefined Batman and got rid of all the garbage from 50 years and made it awesome. Uh, he did the same thing with uh, Superman in the, in the animated show. Batman Beyond, I never thought I'd like. I loved it. Uh, and then the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, he brought in, you know, the Demon and Doctor Fate and uh, the Question and all these characters that I've loved for twenty years, and then suddenly somebody's doing something with them. Yeah, well, I mean, stuff like the Demon, like it's rare that someone actually gets it, right? Yeah, well, or even like the Bawana Beast or something, some, <laughs> odd, some oddball character. They left over from was that from the Titans? No, he was he was just from like. I think he ran in two issues of Showcase Comics, and that was it because he was weird. And now they brought him back. Now he's in the, even the new. Actually, that's one thing I've liked recently is the Brave and the Bold cartoon. That, yeah, I that watched, was really cool. I watched one of those the other day, uh, and it was Batman going to Ron to Ron the planet. Yeah, Ron. Ran? Oh yeah, Ran. Oh, with Adam Strange. Yeah, I haven't seen that he, yet. And he runs into Aquaman, and Aquaman's sitting there moping. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh no, no, he's gonna want to come along." Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Hello, Batman." Yeah, nothing seems to go right. Uh, Aquaman. I never, I never thought that they like the, the, the brave and the bold. It's awesome because they they take all these, even the characters I don't like. The new Blue Beetle kid, never liked that in the comics. I thought it was the stupidest looking Blue Beetle I've ever seen. In the cartoon, he's actually pretty good. It's it's pretty funny. They had the, there's one scene that had the uh, Batman and the Blue Beetle go to this other planet, and there's these little bags of jelly men that are like, "It is the Great Blue One. He has returned to save us." And, they, <laughs> and it's uh, because they're talking about the old Blue Beetle, and the new kid doesn't know what they're talking about. And so Batman's like, "Okay, we got to use them. You uh, tell them we need their help to take down Kanjar Row or whoever the villain is." <laughs> and so the the Blue Beetle's like, well, "You mean like a football pep talk?" He's like, "Yeah, exactly." Okay, everybody, you gotta help us. Uh, and they're like, "No, we are not worthy. You are the great one." And he's like, "No, no, it's you got to learn to fight for yourself because it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees." And then Batman goes, "They don't have knees. Wrap this up." <laughs> he's all. It's, it's pretty good. Die on your feet than live on your yeah, knees. Yeah, it was funny though. The Aquaman's just like this arrogant, like, "My, I have great stories to tell of my adventures." <laughs> it's pretty good. It's well, not in this show. It's yeah. more like uh, Colin Upton meets. Oh, I know. Well, that's what's funny though is in the other ones, he's just this arrogant guy. Yeah. You know, he's the one where he wants to go in and punch the hell out of everybody, and the Adam is always trying to restrain him, going, uh, 
we've got to think this out. He goes, well, I'm sure you would, point Dexter, but I want to get in there. So <laughs> just gets in there and starts thumping the heads, you know. Anyway, it was it was charming. It was funny. And they, they brought in, like, Dead Man, the Buona Beast, the Gentleman Ghost. It's a great villain. How's the Gentleman Ghost? It's an old, uh, he's an old uh, character from the, the 40s, uh, Hawkman. He was, as far as I know, he was one of the first villains that was actually a dead guy. It wasn't like a guy with a suit on. And uh, he's like an old highwayman that gets murdered. Or not murdered, he gets, he gets hung and then uh, comes oh, back. Right. Yeah. And then, and then comes back, you know. And uh, anyway, he's one of the villains, Plastic Man, they brought in. I was like, it's, it's pretty How do they have Plastic Man? They actually tied him in with the the origin of Plastic Man into Batman, so it's almost because his origin's almost like the Joker. He falls into a vat of something, yeah. and they he d- was he, a bad guy. Yeah, he was a bad guy, but he kind of uh, uh, what do you call it? Becomes good. Batman sort of coaches him, so it's uh, it kind of keeps going back to that. It was pretty cool. And then the, that's the one that has the gorillas flying dinosaurs. Because <laughs> <It's like, laughs> that's what Plastic Man says something like, "Is it just me, or are we just watching gorillas flying?" Dinosaurs, yes, that's exactly what we're seeing. You know, it's, it's just this weird uh, gorilla city thing. It was cool, but hey, that that was great. Was there anything you've been hating lately that you read that just pissed you off? Uh, I just get, I just can't even look at a lot of stuff. Uh, that I, I try not to read the stuff that pisses me off. Actually, there have been a couple cool art books that came in. There was uh, uh, one by Reynolds. What's his name? Reynolds Brown. He was an old illustrator. That did like popular science covers and pulp covers and things like that. That was just awesome. Bougie bought the last one we had. Um, Does he have a room? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, a book on Norman Saunders, who did all the rich, he did old pulp paintings, and then painted all the uh, uh, what do you what do they call wacky packages? He did the paintings for those, and he like the earlier ones. Yeah, the early ones, and uh, he also did the pretty the, uh, Marv Newgarden. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he also did the original um, Mars Attacks cards and the Batman cards from the '60s, which I didn't know. And he painted all like the Aurora model kit types of things, you know, that stuff, like Superman puzzles and things. That was a cool. Can't think of anything that I haven't really liked lately because I'm just trying to avoid reading garbage. I'll just see it and go fuck it. <laughs> Forget about you. Well, it's just, life's too short to be reading stuff that looks. Totally stupid. So, anything you're excited about that's coming out? Uh, David Mazzuchelli, that uh, Asterios Polyp. Yeah, that thing. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, this week, the Dr- uh, Drifting Life comes out by Tatsumi. Uh, looking forward to the 800 page read. He uses a pillow. Yeah, a doorstop. Uh, yeah, that's 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 probably the, the two I'm looking forward to the most. I uh, just got that Dave McKeon book. I haven't taken it home yet. That art Squint. book. Squint. Yeah. Looks nice. Love Dave McKean. Um, yeah, that's about it. I can't think of anything. I can't remember. I can never remember what's coming in because every you know, it's like you, you hear about it, and then six months later, you go, "Where the hell is that?" You know, like the like the Blazing Combat supposed to be out. It was supposed to be out about three months ago, and it's still not out. Yeah, I think it'll be out soon because the uh, they've released on the Fantagraphic site the intro mm-hmm. to it. So. But I mean, they just announced that uh, Joe Schuster book just like a month ago or so, and then that's already out now. Yeah, that's that's been in the works for a long time. Though. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, we just got in the Humbug, the the reprint oh, of the Humbug, nice. the hardcover slipcase thing. We actually have a signed one. Do you see the signed one? It's signed. It comes with a plate that's signed by uh, Jack Davis, Al Jaffe, and uh, Arnold Roth. Really cool. 
How much is that? That one's a hundred. I think. I think the regular one's fifty or sixty, and that one's a hundred. So it's not bad. Yeah, he's one of my dream interviews to have, but apparently his hearing is gone away somewhat. Well, he's got to be like late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, well, no, he's gonna be old in that probably. Because I was looking at photos of the guys during that era, during the humbug time. Because I have pictures of them, and he looks old. Compared to everyone else, yeah, but I mean, old hockey players are like that. You ever look at old hockey cards? It's it's like you look at John Bellevue and you go, "How old is he? Fifty five? And then you find out it's like, no, he was like twenty eight in the picture. <laughs> you know, it's true. They you look at like seems back then everybody aged quicker or something. You know, but he's got to be yeah, he's got to be at least eighty because yeah. I mean because I know I, I know I think Jeff A just some turned eighty eight or something. Oh yeah, well and then like uh, uh, Al Feldstein, he's like. 86 or yeah, he's not doing very well apparently he's got to go in for bypass surgery if they'll do it because he's high risk oh poor old guy yeah pretty pretty friendly guy when you meet him yeah remember your oldies yeah go check them out when they're at the con well that's where they all came from oh and the next convention Josh Middleton's going to be here oh wow name something that'll <laughs> name make some mainstream kids happy yeah but I'm looking forward to Seattle, Seattle. like Manola Mignola. Mignola is going to be in Seattle. Awesome. Well, it'll be good times. So I'll see you there for a couple minutes when I'm not drinking. Yeah, or when I'm not drinking. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Don. All right. See you later. Nearly broke.